0: It is a lot easier said than done. But yeah, it's like at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, you know, bodies change a lot. That's pretty normal. And so, depending on how you like your clothing, you know, if it's fitted or unfitted or whatever, you know, you're going to have to get different clothes at different stages of your life. And that's totally okay, you know. And that's something I have to say to myself plenty often as well, because I still freak out anytime, you know, anything fits slightly differently. I'm like, oh my goodness. But it is okay.
1: That was Virginia Knight, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 153. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. So on this show, my guests and I are committed to one simple but powerful thing, telling the truth about our lives. No one's here to sell you anything. No one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. I certainly don't have any magic answers, and I can't give you any miraculous 10-day six-step life hack plans for anything. But as a recovering self-help junkie myself, I'm honestly so over the quick fix approach, and my guess is that maybe you are too. Maybe that's even why you're here. So no, that's not what this show's about. Here at Real Talk Radio, I sit down with athletes, writers, entrepreneurs, parents, coaches, adventurers, artists, activists, and many others, and we dive deep. We go into meaningful topics like work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, racism, body image, mental health, grief, fear, courage, change, and everything in between. This is definitely an adult podcast covering adult subjects, often using adult language, and we never shy away from just telling the unfiltered truth in an open and honest way, even when it's uncomfortable. So with this mission in mind, you won't hear any ads or sponsor promotions. These honest conversations are 100% listener funded, made possible by awesome regular people like you who give $8 or more per eight episode season. The show is and always will be free. But if you love it, if these conversations make you laugh, think, or just feel less alone, I hope you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight episode season. When you get over to Patreon, you'll see our current funding goal. And when we reach that goal, it means that every single person who works on this show will get paid. That includes me and my sound engineer, Adam Day, as well as every single guest who comes onto the show. Because that's my vision, for each of our guests to be paid for the time, energy, honesty, care, and emotional labor that they bring to these conversations. The budget won't be huge to start with and will hopefully continue to grow over time, but higher rates will always be paid to our guests of color, as well as our queer and trans guests and others with traditionally marginalized identities. Being able to pay all our guests has been a big dream of mine for a while now, because as you've probably heard me say before, I believe that where we spend our money is a real-time vote for the kind of world that we want to live in. And if I want to live in a world where people get paid for the work they do, especially creative work, then it's up to me to create that model here at Real Talk Radio even if it's definitely not the norm in the podcast industry. So please know that when you help to fund this show, you're using your money as a vote for a world of honest, judgment-free conversations. You're voting to hear more stories from a wide-ranging group of people, the vast majority of whom are women, and you're voting to pay those folks for the entertainment and education that they so expertly provide. When you support this show, you're saying, loudly and proudly, that these voices deserve to be heard and that no topic should be off-limits due to fear or shame. As a special thank you for supporting the show, you'll get access to over 40 hours of bonus content, as well as our monthly book club, my weekly behind-the-scenes email series where I share my real life in real time, which, oh man, if you think that it gets vulnerable and honest on the podcast, just wait till you start getting my emails. Plus, you'll be the first to know when tickets go on sale for Real Talk Live events and retreats. Also, 5% of each season's profits are donated to social justice organizations, such as Trans Lifeline, Black Lives Matter, and Planned Parenthood, so you can feel really good about that aspect of your pledge contribution to this show as well. Over on Patreon, you'll also see that there are currently three different funding levels, an $8 level, a $16 level, and a $25 level, each with their own unique, awesome bonuses. At the $25 level, we even do live Google Hangouts together, and oh my gosh, those are so much fun. So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And at the very end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our Patreon community members who joins me for a fun little rapid fire question round. So stick around for that after the main episode for sure. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Virginia Knight. Virginia is a fashion historian who believes that old clothes can help us explore a better relationship with our bodies a writer and vintage clothing seller based in Asheville, North Carolina. She's deeply invested in interrogating the relationship between fashion and the body, and she offers personal styling services to fashion-minded women who have fallen out of love with dressing themselves. In this episode, Virginia shares her own honest story of her love of fashion and how that combined with her diagnosis of an eating disorder and body dysmorphic disorder to help her realize the ways in which vintage clothing can allow us to explore a better relationship with our bodies and with the struggles that many of us face in getting dressed each morning. Virginia talks about the problem of focusing only on clothes that are, quote, flattering and about the body shaming that can often exist in the personal styling industry. She shares the specific tools that help her when she's having a not-so-great body image day herself, and we dig into a few ways that folks can start in crafting their own personal style. This conversation went in so many good, helpful directions, and at the end of it, I was left feeling, I don't know, joyful, I guess, for the future of my clothing and my body, which was a treat. So I hope that you enjoy hearing from Virginia as much as I did. All of that starts in just a moment. And as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at NicoleAntoinette.com slash podcast. Awesome. We are good to go. Virginia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Tell me something that you are totally obsessed with right now.
0: Okay. This is really specific, but... It's a good thing. So I live in Asheville, North Carolina. And just recently I found out about this place here in Western North Carolina. And it's called the Echo View Fiber Mill. And they make yarn and do all this really cool stuff. But I went there not that long ago for a yarn sale. And it's so one those places like the place is beautiful everything they sell is beautiful. As I'm sure we'll get into in the episode, I'm obviously I'm a fashion historian. I'm a big textile nerd. So being being like, ooh, wool, it's really fun. And like the colors for fall are so beautiful. And now I'm just kind of stalking the textile mill's website because they do a lot of events. And I'm like, okay, can I just show up every day and be like, hey, guys, like, I
1: love this place. <laughs> can I move in? Yeah. <laughs>
0: It's been such a funny like, you know, when you live somewhere where I'm in Asheville, it's a pretty small place. So I think it's easy to think, oh, you kind of know everything that's going on. But it was a great reminder of like, hey, there's often really cool stuff around that you don't know about. And to find something that's kind of adjacent to my field that was totally new. Oh It's been so cool. I'm obsessed with everything they do. And I don't need any more creative projects. But I think I have to get back into knitting now because I have to buy all their wool and make everyone I love a sweater. So. (laughs)
1: <laughs> my favorite thing about asking this question is like, first of all, I love hearing the excitement in people's voices yeah. when they talk about things they're obsessed with. And it's hilarious how many of those things are like things that I would never, I mean, I've, I've never been to a yarn sale in my life. Right. And, but hearing how excited you are yeah. about it, I'm like, Ooh, okay. That sounds fun. And I'm like, does it though? Do I, <laughs> it's so funny. Yarn sales um, are really fun. I
0: can, I promise I'm not just saying that as someone who's kind of a grandma and all my friends did make fun of me because we were trying to make plans. I think it was a Saturday. And I said something like, oh, yeah, in the morning, I'm going to this yarn sale, but then I'll be free. And everyone's like, Virginia, a yarn sale. And I said, yes, a yarn sale. Got to get that discount yarn. (laughs) And
1: yeah, got to get that discount yarn. Also, I think that there is something so fun and attractive and empowering about letting yourself love what you love. Like, yeah, go to the yarn sale, right? Whatever anyone's version of that is, like leaning into it, even if it's something that the people in your life don't understand.
0: For sure. Everyone I know is very kind of supportive in that, like, I don't understand you, but I love you way of all of my old clothing passions. They just kind of let it ride. And they're like, yep, that's Virginia's thing. I'm like, yep. Cool.
1: <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, good. <laughs> Look at that. Things that I didn't know about you that you like going to yarn sales.
0: I do. I love, I'm a fiber nerd. I don't know if that's a type of nerd, but if it is, I am
1: one. I mean, it can be. <laughs> You've created your own category of nerds. <laughs> fiber nerds. So tell me one thing that you have recently been wishing that people were more open and honest about.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Such a good question.
0: I think, and this to me is something that almost seems so obvious that I forget it all the time. And it's something I'm trying to be more honest about in my life, in my work. And it's a big kind of principle of my work is that I wish we could talk more about how getting dressed for something that almost all of us do every single day is really hard because it's not hard every day, but I think it can be hard a lot. And it seems so basic that even I forget. And sometimes I'll have weeks where it's really tough and I don't know why I'm like, oh yeah, because you're doing this really hard thing. Duh. And I kind of go back to that principle. And when I talk to friends about it, everyone kind of has that same like, oh yeah, moment. But it seems like a lot of times I'm the first person to bring it up or I don't hear, you know, it seems kind of silly in a way to admit that this thing we do every single day can be difficult, but it's something that I always come back to. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like, I think I would have felt better if maybe someone at a younger point in my life had said, hey, this is kind of a complicated thing. And just because we do it every day doesn't mean it's always going to go smoothly every day. Mm -hmm. I think that would have helped. And so I think you know, as part of a bigger conversation about how, you know, clothes are really never just clothes. You know, we can kind of tack on like, hey, we're dealing with bodies. We're dealing with how we present ourselves to the world. Like there's a lot going on and that's not always easy.
1: Yeah. I I love this acknowledgement of the, like the challenge of daily things. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes when I think about even that question of, you know, what do you wish people were more open and honest about, which is obviously something that gets talked about a lot on this show. And I think that sometimes it's like people think that, you know, you have to be really open and honest about like the most traumatic thing or the biggest thing, or it's like a one-off confessional. And sure, like it can be, and those stories deserve to be told too, but that like some of the challenges or just like the experience of the day-to-day stuff, like I'm more interested in people's like everyday fears, right? Than maybe like their biggest fear or like talking about the fact that just because you do something every day doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't stuff attached to it. And just kind of normalizing the experience of just being a person in the world and what that's like with these day-to-day things. Yeah. I I think, I mean, obviously we're talking about it through the lens of getting dressed and bodies and clothes, which Mm -hmm. is obviously what we're going to dig into in this episode. But I think just in general, I wish that people were more open and honest about what their everyday life is like, you know?
0: Yeah. Cause that's very much an everyday thing. And
1: I think you know, so many of
0: the things we do every day, you know, they're so routine, they're so simple, they don't have a lot of baggage attached, you know, like brushing her teeth or making coffee. But for me, that's one that we do it every day, you know, and we all, I mean, they really got it spot on. Like, if you're familiar with the Devil Wears Prada, that scene where she has the blue sweater and Meryl Streep's chewing her out, she's like, oh, you thought you were, you know, pick the sweater and it's all about fashion systems and whatnot. And it's so true. Like, we all... I don't know anyone who doesn't get dressed in the morning, you know? So it's like, oh my goodness, it's the most relatable, one of the most relatable experiences we have. Yeah, it's a lot tougher, at least for me anyways, than making coffee or brushing my teeth or all the tiny things I do during a day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we do it
1: again and again, every single day, you know? Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about your work a little bit. So you're a fashion historian, a vintage clothing seller, and a personal stylist, which to be honest is like the most badass job title I think I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) When I found your work, I was like, all right, I have like a thousand questions, (laughs) so that's amazing. It's
0: pretty darn fun. I have said before that I kind of professionally just play adult dress up for a living, and I don't think that's a wrong way to describe what I do. I said it as a joke, and I
1: was like, you know what, that's actually not wrong. No, That's amazing. And why not make it more playful, right? If you can. Yeah, for sure. So before we get into the specifics of the work that you do, I'd love to go yeah. back in time a little bit and ask maybe what you learned about clothing or about like how to dress yourself or getting dressed as you were growing up. Like what messages do you feel like yeah. you received about that? Because you're a point that it's something that we do every day. And sometimes we think about it a lot and sometimes we don't. Like, I know for me personally, I don't remember ever being like taught to get dressed, right? It's like such an early thing. And I don't know. So I'm interested in like what that was like for you when you were growing up.
0: No, yeah. That's such a fascinating thought. I've been thinking about that a lot recently too. Of Like none of us, we don't remember getting taught this. Like I'm sure we all kind of did, but it's when you were so young, you know? And I think for me growing up, I mean, I was the kid and this was very telling of perhaps what I would do with my life, I was the kid who would wear like, quote unquote, any kind of like costume or anything like that was not a costume for me. It was just everyday wear. My parents have told me, you know, like, I change clothes so many times a day. I refuse to let anyone dress me. I was the only one who could dress me. You know, I'd wear tutus to school and like wear all these crazy outfits. And my parents... You know, at the time I didn't realize it, but now in hindsight, I'm like, man, they were super cool about all of this and their daughter going around in Tucci everywhere. So it's hilarious. Like any family pictures, you know, we're all just like hanging out and everyone's in jeans or whatever. And I'm in some like, you know, I've got a bunch of my mom's scarves like pinned to myself or something. They were all, I have a lot of odd looks from being a kid. But I think for me, you know, it was such a fun thing. It was such a kind of fantasy thing. You know, it was very much about, you know, dress up and pretend and all that. But it was like, yeah, why not? you know, dress up and feel like a princess in your everyday life, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I was very much a clothes lover and a lover of a strange outfit since I've been a little kid, which I think is awesome. And sometimes I, depending on what's going on in my life, I kind of lose that, but it's always really nice to come back to that and be like, man, I've always loved wearing weird stuff. And I've never minded. I'm a bit of a shy person, but It's funny, I've never minded getting attention based on what I'm wearing. So I'm a pretty big fan of kind of a loud outfit. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I love that. So, and then I remember reading that you were voted best dressed in high school. So clearly this continued on. Yes.
0: Yes. So that, and it's funny back, like looking at hindsight, or it's always really funny when I watch TV shows set in high school where like, you know, you'd see how the quote unquote high schoolers and TV shows dress. I'm like, no one actually dresses like that. But I'm like, man, you kind of dressed you had a little bit of a pretentious thing going on. because I was angling really hard to get best dressed. So I definitely overcommitted to some looks, but it was honestly pretty fun. You know, high school, you're up early. It's not the most fun thing you've ever done. You may as well wear some weird clothes, you know? (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I've been thinking a lot in lots of different areas of my life about how things that I learned or experienced when I was really young, like how that does go on to shape you, of course, right? Like (laughs) shocker that of course happens. And knowing that I was going to be talking to you, I was thinking about it through the lens of clothes. And I remember when I was young, my mom basically treated me like a doll like not in a bad way, but really like Mm. dressed me up. And it was like, your part has to be perfect. And you know, all these things. And I definitely went through a significant period of time, like as I started to get older, where it like felt good to just not care about that stuff. Right. Like I had, I don't even know what I was doing with my hair for many years and all this stuff where it was almost like a rejection of feeling like, Oh, I have to look so perfect. And so it's funny how like our early experiences, I feel like we either kind of grow more and more into that, or we wind up rejecting it and doing something that's like the complete opposite and then maybe finding a middle ground somewhere. But yeah, I was thinking about that.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting to have, you know, an experience of someone else calling all those shots for you of like, okay, you have to wear this or you have to do this. I was, uh, looking back, I feel a bit bad for a parent. my parents. I was a very stubborn child. I'm sure if they did try that, it did not go over well. And I was probably quite sassy. <laughs> <laughs> so they were like, all right, you can just do what you need to do. So. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, it sounds like then when you were young, clothing and getting dressed and that was a joyful experience for you. Do you feel like that changed anywhere along the way?
0: Definitely as I got older, as I started dealing with what would become a very long road of an eating disorder and eating disorder recovery and all of that stuff, I think all of that made getting dressed, you know, just when you're a kid. You know, I was aware of my body, obviously, but, you know, I remember kind of being young enough for this stuff to bounce off me. And then the age where you get old enough where it does start to become, you know, more about insecurities. And it's just harder and harder to kind of turn those thoughts about your body off and realizing like, oh my goodness, now every time I get dressed, like I have to think about my body. You know, you can't really do one without the other. And then that became so frustrating because, yeah, it is such a fun process for me. And it's something I love. And to see it kind of, okay, I wish, you know, I wish I could do this joyfully without like having to deal with my body, you know. But it's like, ooh, that's not how getting dressed works. Like, mm-hmm. so that definitely, and that's you know, kind of we perhaps come full circle maybe as an adult where you know I've made a lot of progress with all these things, but there are still days where it's hard, you know. And I don't know, you know. Everyone jokes, you know. It's common to talk about childhood innocence or things like that, but it's like, yeah, there was like a sweet spot in there where you were really young where it was just straight fun, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think it's like, okay, we can work really hard to get back to that. And it may not be consistently like that ever again, but that is always the goal, you know, to kind of go back to, you know, this is something that's so fundamental to who you are. And I'm a big believer in that it should be fun and it should be joyful and it should be a process that, you know, is very individualized and does whatever you need it to do. And so that's always the goal. It's like, okay, let's get, let's remember that little Virginia, you know, who's wearing a ridiculous tutu or a strange hat, like let's keep her in mind and try and get back to that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's true in so many different areas that I feel like a lot of being an adult is unlearning the things that were either programmed into you, cultural messages, you know, things from family, you know, going back to like you said, hey, this was really joyful at one point, whether that was eating or getting dressed or an activity that you used to love. And you know, Mm -hmm. then we're told was impractical or you shouldn't do it. Or like, I definitely think that there's a lot of unlearning that sometimes has to happen in order to Mm -hmm. reconnect with just the things that brought you joy before you had like all this crap dumped on top of it, you know? For
0: sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I think probably most of our adult
1: lives is unlearning stuff, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the academic path that you took after high school. I'm interested to hear about that.
0: Yeah. So after high school, I was a history major and undergraduate, which was a very straightforward decision. I knew I loved history. And I went to a school where, you know, you were just kind of a general history major. You didn't specialize. There was no, you know, I didn't put any thought into like, do I want to try and find somewhere where I can do fashion history? At that time, you know, I kind of knew like, oh, I really like old clothes, but it hadn't yet clicked that that could be a professional interest. So I was just a straight history major throughout undergrad. And I went to a very small school and thankfully all my professors were so kind and put up with four years of me making every single paper I wrote about fashion. That's all I ever wanted to write about. And I was like, can I write about fashion for this? So they were very tolerant. Shout out to the UNC Asheville History Department. They're amazing. And so I think as I spent more time, you know, kind of independently focusing on that in college, I was like, okay, like you are obviously really into this. And I happened to go with my mom on a trip to London. I guess it was right before I started college. She was going on a work trip. So I got to tag along, you know, because free hotel room and stuff. And we went to see, we went to visit the Victorian Albert Museum in London, which is one of the most famous museums of kind of decorative arts in the world. And they have a fashion collection. And it just so happened to be that their fashion gallery was under renovation I remember going and that was the first time it kind of clicked like, oh, my goodness, like this museum has clothes. Someone has to take care of the clothes. How do I become the person that takes care of the clothes? (laughs) So all through college, that was kind of in the back of my mind. And I think as I got, you know, towards your junior and senior year, when you start thinking, what are you going to do after college? I was like, yeah, that's really, you know, I want to go into fashion history. And so it was pretty apparent at that point that I would have to do some kind of master's degree if I ever wanted to work in any kind of museum setting or continue on to do a PhD. So I picked my program purely, I ended up going to grad school in Scotland, and I literally Googled every single university in Scotland and pulled up every single page, you know, of like each school's graduate programs. And I scrolled through until I found the one program at the University of Glasgow, of Dress and Textile Histories, which is where I did my master's. And there are programs here in the US, but somewhere in there, I really got fixated on like, oh, I want to go to Scotland and do a master's. So that's what I did. So that people ask all the time how I ended up in Scotland. I was like, guys, I opened like 100 tabs on Google and just found the school in Scotland that had the program I wanted. And that was how I ended up there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's worse ways to make a decision, right? Like not everything has to be this completely logical progression. I remember when I finished, I did a a long backpacking trip, like hike uh, Uh earlier this year. And when I finished it, I spent some time uh, when I was recovering, just like in a bookstore, right? Like sitting on the floor, looking yeah. at travel books, looking at other hikes yeah. and stuff. And I found this hike in the UK um, where you can hike all, along all of Hadrian's Wall. And I also am super Ooh. into history. And I'm like, oh, that sounds awesome. And I I'm thought, amazing. oh, I really would like to do that. I'm like, okay, well, if I do an event, if I host an event in the UK, then I can maybe do both at the same time. And now I'm like building my retreat schedule and stuff next year around like cool properties that I find to rent or other things that I want to do. And so, I totally get that of like, let's just open yeah. a bunch of tabs and like, see what sounds interesting. So yeah.
0: Yeah. Why not? It was like, okay, I need to go to grad school. Why not go to Scotland? It yeah. was much cheaper than doing it here in the States. So, and I got to live abroad for a year so.
1: How was the transition to living somewhere that had been unfamiliar to you? How was that? It was definitely
0: tougher than I anticipated. I think I was
1: a little cocky because I had
0: done a lot of traveling. I've been to the UK many times. I've been to Scotland many times. I was very overconfident. I was like, oh, I've got this. Like, they speak English, let so me know problems at all. And I think it was, I think you really feel the distance from your support system, or at least I did. I felt so far away from everyone, you know, even though with technology, it was, you know, I could Skype with my mom and talk to all my friends, but just with the time difference, and I just really could feel it. And I think grad school's you know, it's not an easy thing. So that was a time in my life when I really needed a lot of support. And then to be like, Oh, my goodness, like, I am here in a place where it is a lot harder to get, you know, to access my support system at home. So I think in that sense, I did not anticipate that at all. You know, I kind of thought, Oh, I'm just gonna go over there. And like, everyone speaks English, and I'll we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I did make so many wonderful friends there, you know, and by the end of the year, I very much had a support system there as well. But, you know, those
1: things take time. So yeah, I think that's an interesting point. The idea of sort of the fantasy of the thing versus the reality of the thing, like circling back to what we were talking (laughs) about earlier, that's something that I wish that people were more honest about too. Like it sounds Uh, really sexy to be like, I'm going to go study in Scotland for a year and that's great. And yes, sure. You don't have the language barrier, but like that time change is hard. Like my best friend, Jamie has like lived in Europe, you know, on and off a bunch throughout our friendship. And I'm like, it's like eight or nine hour time difference, like trying to figure out how we can talk. I mean, like that's tough. And obviously it's just like one small, tiny example, but it's so easy to have a picture of what something is going to be, or potentially to romanticize it, which doesn't mean when it actually happens that there aren't great things that you weren't right about some of it, but I've been trying to remind myself of this so much as I have like dreams and fantasies and plans for the future that sure, some of it will be like that, but also some of it will be terrible because that's how these things are in reality, you know, like leaving space for, you don't know what you don't know. Like, of course it's going to be hard, which doesn't mean it's not worth it, but that it's, I think like everything's messier than we want to admit that it is.
0: Absolutely. And it's so funny you bring that up because I had this exact conversation with my therapist last week who, you know, at this point we've worked together a minute, she knows me pretty well. So she does that thing therapists do where like, you know, they kind of tease you gently because I am notorious for that of having like these crazy fantasy expectations for things, you know, just like immediately just my mind is like, yes, like this huge thing. And I just run with it. And then the reality of things, you know, that often, yeah, it can still shake out great sometimes. But exactly like you said, it's often very different than we imagined. And so I'm notorious for that. And she was just giving me a bit of a hard time because I don't remember what it was I did that with, but I did that with something else in my life. Like it's gonna be like this, and then it wasn't like that. I was like, oh, she was like, you know, you do this, and I was like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's
1: like it's such like a good personal growth thing of giving yourself permission to let the experience be what it is, and. Yeah. Not necessarily to have like lower expectations, but like, I remember sort of on the thread of long distance backpacking, like when I went on my first trip, I really had no idea what to expect. And I was yeah. definitely a little bit in fantasy land. Like it's very easy to look at pretty nature pictures on Instagram and be like, this is just going to be so amazing. And like, oh my God, it was terrible. I mean, it was great, but it was terrible. And yeah. like then, so when I went on my second trip, I was like, well, this whole thing is going to be a terrible slog. And then like, if that's my expectation, then any moment that's not like that is going to be a joy. And like yeah. I was kind of kidding, but... Kind of not, right? Like once you know that something's going to be hard, it sort of takes the pressure off feeling like, what's wrong with me that I'm not enjoying this every second? Well, nothing, because you don't enjoy anything every second, you know? Yeah. It was like what you said earlier about that, even though you have found more joy in the process of getting dressed and like the role of fashion in your life, it doesn't mean that you feel amazing about it every day.
0: No, I wish. That'd be
1: really nice. (laughs) But yes, that would be a very unrealistic expectation. Yeah, totally. (laughs) So tell me a few of the most interesting things that you learned while you were doing your master's program.
0: I mean, the whole year to start was just a complete nerd fest for me because this was the first time that I was with other people who loved fashion history. And it was a fashion history program in college. I was the only person I knew who cared about this stuff. So it was just such a joy to be in a room full of people who, even though we all like different types of fashion and different eras and have different motivations for wanting to study this, you know, I was like, these are my people, you know, these are some old clothes nerds right here. So I think so much of the joy was not just what I learned in the classroom, but just talking to the other people and learning about how they ended up in this program, what they wanted to do, what they've done in the past. A lot of them came with you know, everyone had a very interesting academic background up until coming to the program. So we had people who are, you know, big kind of reenactors. We have people who did film and TV. And I think, you know, as someone who, you know, kind of knowing what I do now about, oh, I'm really interested in like, maybe so the less academic side of things and more like people's experiences with bodies and clothes, you know, so I was always dangling to hear about that. I was like, oh, like, tell me how you feel about this. Or like, let's get into the feelings part of the close, which sometimes kind of derailed us from, you know, we were supposed to be in class and working and I want to talk about feelings, but that was huge to just, you know, hear from other people with similar interests was pretty life changing. And I think everything, I mean, it was one of those years where I both learned a ton of, you know, kind of quote unquote book knowledge. I watched myself get a lot better at what I do, but then it was also, I think just because of my background of a- program that even though it was my academic master's program, it kind of initiated a lot of personal growth that I think it's just because, you know, of my very personal relationship with clothing and bodies and all that. I don't think most people, well, maybe I don't know, but you know, that's not always the master's experience is like, Oh, this taught me deep personal truths about myself. You know, sure. whereas for me, it was very like, Oh, like I learned a lot of cool stuff, but I came back completely like, Oh, when I got here, I wanted to work in a museum. And when I left, I was like, I think I'm meant to do something very different with clothing. And at that time, it was still kind of an inkling. But I was like, man, like this year split that, you know, I made so many connections that year between kind of my life and my field of study that are so, you know, in hindsight, they seem really obvious. I can't believe it took me that long to kind of make the connections. But in that sense, you know, I not to diminish what I learned in the classroom, because it's a really incredible program, but I think probably the most powerful thing was kind of the connections I made in my own life. It's like, wow, I don't know how long it would have taken me to do this if I hadn't done this program. You know? Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I mean, to, so to the things that you just said that I think are, are like really strong. This idea yeah. of how good that it feels to be surrounded by people that share your obsessions or interests. Like, especially if you're into something that's kind of a like niche thing or like it it can be easy to Mm -hmm. feel kind of alone. And then when you're with other people that it's like, oh my God, you want to talk about this as much as I want to talk about this. And there's some really good bonds. It's funny, as you were saying that, I was thinking of my friends, Alex and Melissa, who Like me, are very into reading erotica, reading erotic novels. And I was like, oh my God, we have this like unofficial book club and we can like send, you know, group texts about like the characters in these books. And it just feels so, this is just such a random example, but it does feel really good when like you're like, oh my God, I'm so obsessed with this. And someone's like, oh my God, me too. It's just, there's like a really good shared thing there. And it's like a kind of bonding that you can't have without that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I love that. Best feeling. Yeah. And then
1: also what you were saying about that maybe on day one of the program, what you thought your mm-hmm. career track was going to be or what you thought the future was going to be wound up, you know, kind of different than what you walked out with. And I think there's something in that too of, I don't know if it's the fantasy versus reality thing, but it's a doing like following your curiosity and making what feels like the next best step, but being open to the, to wherever it leads. Right. That's like, you don't yeah, know how you're sure. going to feel about something until you try it. Or maybe you thought you wanted to work in a museum and then okay, that's cool. And I could do that. But Oh, actually, this intersection of like, you know, body image and feeling good about bodies and clothes, like that's maybe more interesting. And you wouldn't have known that without taking that step. But I don't know, just like being more open. I think there's something powerful in that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And that's something I'm not always great at. So again, more good reminders for myself, like, remain open. Yeah, to how these things shake out. Because yeah, I could never have anticipated where I would have been at the end of the year, you know,
1: Yeah. Oh, I mean, I need that reminder. I want to control all the things. I want to know exactly how everything's going to happen every second. (laughs) So it's like, oh wait, you actually, not only, it's like, I used to tell myself like, well, that's not realistic because you can't control all the things, which is true. But I think like even the bigger point that I'm learning is that it's actually just not that fun because you don't know what you don't know. So it's like leaving like the opportunity for something to cross your path that maybe if you were so blinders on, like focused on the, you know, the tiny vision that you can see that you would have missed. And yeah, I think there's a balance between like planning and spontaneity, but yeah, I've definitely been thinking about that.
0: Absolutely. And it's so funny. And maybe I might be, this might be a stretch, but I think it makes sense. And it was so funny because my therapist and I were also talking about this. And the other day I was thinking about this same concept of like, you know, okay, we remain open to things. You don't know what you don't know. And sometimes things are even better than you expected, or you just could never anticipate how cool they are. And I was thinking about this because I was shopping with a friend, I was helping her move and we were in an antique store and we were looking for furniture. And so I found this like really amazing vintage purse. And I was like, okay, like I'm not, I'm not in the market for a purse. I don't need a purse. I was like, man, this is a really cool purse, you know, and the way vintage works is like this stuff comes around one and done, you know, if I don't get the purse now, I can't go online and order the same purse. And it was just so funny because I was thinking about how, you know, vintage is kind of difficult in that way. Because if you say like, oh, I want a forest green 1940s suit in my size, there might not be one available when you want it, you know, the way there is with ready to wear clothing. But I've noticed that a lot of times you find things or things pop up that you never knew you wanted. But then you're like, Oh, my goodness, like, this dress fits amazing, or this would look perfect with that or like, this has such a cool backstory. And I was laughing at myself, because I was like, Are you just trying to make this some kind of like fashion connection? Because you're a fashion nerd. But it was so funny that a vintage purse got me thinking about kind of a different application of the same concept of like, you know, you can't really plan how these things pop up, but often the thing that pops up is a lot cooler than you could have ever
1: imagined, you know. Yeah, I know. I mean, I think that's a great example <laughs> because we you only know what it is that you know, and so if you say like I want this thing, you're basically yeah. choosing from what you already know is possible, whether it's like I want this career or this that like you're choosing from what you've done in the past or what you have like seen represented by people who are like you or you know like it is a relatively narrow window a lot of the times. Yeah. And so yeah. Like you said, like to be like, oh yeah, I didn't know that I wanted this thing until it crossed my path. There's just, I, yeah, I'm not great at staying open. And I, it's maybe just because I've been thinking about it lately that I'm hearing those themes in what you're saying, but no, yeah. it's, it totally makes sense. Yeah. yeah.
0: I was laughing. I was like, you are stretching too far with this
1: personal And I was like, no, no, no. Like it makes sense. Yeah, no, it it totally makes sense. So I know that one of the guiding beliefs of your work, the work that you do now is that old clothes can help us to explore a better relationship with our bodies. What do you mean when you say that?
0: So this is one of my favorite questions to answer because this is a really good example. So the other night, a friend and I were at dinner and we were kind of talking about my work and she's familiar with what I do, but not super intensely. So she kind of asked, she was like, you know, when you keep talking about these old clothes and all this stuff, you know, she said, Are you just trying to like get everyone to be wearing vintage and stuff? And I was laughing. So I was like, okay, maybe my secret plot is to get everyone to wear vintage. But, you know, I was explaining to her kind of this exact same thing. So it was really funny kind of to hear what people think when they hear me say that. And they're like, what on earth are you talking about? And for me, it is not at all about getting people to wear, you know, getting people actually to wear old clothing. You know, if you like vintage, if you like old stuff, awesome. I'm right there with you. But if that is not your scene, you know, I'd never recommend wearing something you don't enjoy. What I mean when I talk about that is that by kind of situating our current understanding of clothing and shopping and how we get dressed and how our bodies relate to clothing in a historic context, we realize, or at least I have realized so many things that completely changed my perspective and so for me what's so invaluable is that perspective shift of hey if we start looking at how people were doing this 100 years ago or 200 years ago we realize so many of the things that we think of you know they're just kind of blips on the historic radar you know they're not inevitable things they're not guaranteed things they're not the way things have always been and I've seen how much just kind of stepping outside of it has helped me. And I was like, oh my goodness, like I know I'm a history nerd, but I really think there's something to this idea of just completely
1: changing how we look at getting dressed and clothing in our bodies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when you said that, um, you know, basically opening the scope up and uh, like looking back 100 years or 200 years, like a lot of things have been helpful for you. Can you like share some examples?
0: Absolutely, yes examples kind of make the point make sense for sure. So for me, one of the biggest things that I, and again, I remind myself of this stuff too, all the time, because, you know, it's easy to just kind of forget is I think about sizing a lot because as maybe many, you know, like you or like many people, you know, I have gotten worked up over sizing, whether it's, you know, okay, my body's changed and I have to size up or, you know, I'm this size at one store and a different size at another store. You know, I've gotten down by those numbers before and, you know, many times. And I kind of remember, I'm like, okay, for example, things like standardized sizing, that was something that happened at the end of the 1930s, kind of the end of the depression. So that's a concept kind of in Western fashion and in American fashion. It's not even a hundred years old, you know, and we just picked those numbers. They're completely arbitrary. You know, they're not... You know, we just came up with those. And so now at the time, that was a federally regulated thing. And now independent clothing manufacturers set their own sizing, which is why, you know, two different places, you can be two different sizes. But thinking like 100 years ago, people didn't shop or make their clothing based on a size. And I think that makes me feel so much better when I sometimes feel like that number is saying so much about who I am as a person. It's just like, nah, those just happen to be the fan you know, the pants that fit your butt, you know, and it doesn't, it's just your body. And it doesn't matter at all what number that is, you know, and that's much easier said than done to be like, the number doesn't matter. But, you know, realizing that for so much of human history, that concept of, you know, I'm this size, or, you know, this is this size, that's just not been a thing. Mm -hmm. And so that's just one example of how you know, or even just our current concept of ready to wear, you know, going in a store and there's multiples of one thing in a bunch of different sizes, how kind of odd that is that, you know, for most of history, things have been made, you know, kind of how we would think of, you know, they're custom made, they're just made to your body, you know, and it doesn't matter if you've got, you know, like me, like I have a super short torso, or you've got a high bust, you know, all that stuff's not problems to fix or things you need to change your body to fit into. It's just how your body is, you know, and you make the clothes around it.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously uh, the same argument can be made for beauty standards in general, right? And like if sure, you, yeah. the wider the lens, you realize that things have changed over time, which like, I think obviously what you're saying is this is true, which doesn't negate the like negative impacts of like diet and beauty culture. Now yeah. <laughs> it's not saying that that stuff like doesn't have real and harmful implications, but like if we can just get a little bit more perspective, you know, in a historical context to be like the things that we accept as true, that you have to be this size or the beauty standard is this and only this. Like I see what your point is that if you like broaden your perspective a little bit to be like, okay, sure, that might be true now. That's like what we're being sold, but maybe it wasn't always true or just like being able to look at examples and periods of time when maybe that wasn't the case. I can see how that would be helpful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because I think sometimes it's so easy when you just look at, you know, over my life of, oh, this is what I've experienced. It must kind of always have been that way. And, you know, I'm a big history nerd in general, not just old clothes. And I'm such a big advocate for like, hey, we should all be history people because it teaches us a lot. But just how much you realize like, oh, man, you know, it seems like a long time because it's my life. But in the historical span of things like, yeah, things like beauty standards, like they're changing all the time. And that's not, you know. They're just changing from one harmful thing to another harmful thing, but like they are changing because they are kind of human concepts. You know, they're not, you know, kind of natural given things, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's mostly everything is stuff that we made up. Yeah. You know, but it's so, for some reason, you know, it's so easy to forget that, you know, and to just really kind of sink into the power of these things
1: and be like, oh yeah, like
0: I'm this size. And that means something about my value as a person. It's like, nah.
1: Yeah. It just means those are the pants that fit, you know? Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's funny, like I had a, an experience recently. So I basically hadn't been clothes shopping since like 2013, maybe, which is okay, <laughs> yeah. a, a decently long time. Yeah. And that <laughs> was just a really different time in my life. I was used to be a you know pretty serious runner. I was running like 40, 50 miles a week. I wasn't really eating sugar. Like my lifestyle was just different and it has changed yeah. so much. I basically stopped running and refound a love of baking. And gotten into long distance hiking. And like, so naturally things have changed and I just have been really resistant to getting new clothes. And it was the kind of thing of like, kind of this kind of works, like it's a little too tight, but I can make it work. Right. And just kind of Mm -hmm. suffering through that. And like, it was, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago where I went to dinner and the, you know, one of the two pairs of jeans that I've had since 2013 I had to leave them unbuttoned at dinner, which if anyone's ever done that, it's not a comfortable situation to be in. It doesn't doesn't feel great. And then instead of enjoying like the food and your friends, you're like thinking about like, oh, are my pants going to open and fall off? What am I going to do? And I was like, you know what? This is like ridiculous. I want jeans that fit me. And I wound up going, I mean, it's not a vintage thing, but I've been sort of exploring Goodwill and used clothing stores around here, just trying to sort of reconcile. Yeah, I want things that fit, but I don't necessarily want the fast fashion type stuff. And I wound up getting these incredible jeans that fit really well, that are really soft, that I can button. And they were $7. And I'm like, okay, what have I been doing for five years wearing jeans that don't fit me? And like, it sounds like such a small thing, but- it's like just giving myself permission to be like, just go buy bigger clothes, you know, which again, easier said than done, obviously, but there's just, there's something in that. So I can hear what you're saying. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's, you're exactly right in kind of naming, that it is a lot easier said than done. But yeah, it's like at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, you know, bodies change a lot. That's pretty normal. And so depending on how you like your clothing, you know, if it's fitted or unfitted or whatever, you know, you're gonna have to get different clothes at different stages of your life. And that's totally okay, you know. And that's something I have to say to myself plenty often as well, because I still freak out anytime, you know, anything fits slightly differently. I'm like, oh my goodness, but
1: it is okay. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we're not robots. Yeah. Right. Like sometimes you need different stuff than other times. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, and so I think there's also, I mean, obviously we're talking about like through the lens of body image, but I think that. With any personal struggles, I think there's this myth that with the issues we've struggled with, that we reach a place where those issues are totally gone and we're completely cured. And maybe that's true for some folks. Like I think about for me with sobriety, it's certainly a lot easier to not drink now than when I first quit drinking seven years ago. Doesn't mean I don't still think about it sometimes. And like, so, for example, I've heard you say that when it comes to body image, like you still have rough days now and again, but that you have more tools in your toolkit essentially to deal with that, which I felt like was very refreshingly honest because it's not like just do these six things and everything's fine forever, right? Like that's not yeah, no. true. But so I don't know, I would love for you to share some more details about that, like about a few of the tools that you're talking about that work for you in your real life.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So, I think
1: for me, probably the biggest
0: thing that has been helpful for me is that, you know, kind of on my recovery journey, I've had a lot of bad days, but I've also had a lot of really good days when I have liked my body more than I've ever liked it before. So I think for me, kind of the first step is always reminding myself like, Hey, you might feel really crappy about this right now, but you have felt really good about it. And you know, these feelings pass. I know for me, they are very kind of cyclical of like, a few days of being really down about my body and then it kind of gets a little better and so on and so forth. So for me, I really have to remind myself that it passes because when I'm in that mode, my immediate, you know, kind of, I'm hardwired to think, okay, I have to do something, you know, I need to be exercising more. I need to be changing the way I eat. I need to go back on a diet, all this stuff that is kind of a leftover from, you know, a different time in my life. And now I kind of know like, Hey, none of that works. And so I kind of have to remind myself, like, this feeling will pass because I have to also remind myself, like, don't do anything about it. It's kind of counterintuitive. But because I am such a control freak, I'm like, okay, I want to do something. I want to fix it. You know, I want to change whatever this is. And I'm like, okay, you just got to sit with this feeling. And I know, like, you don't feel great right now. And it sucks that nothing you do is going to change that. But you know that all of those for me, at least all those quote unquote ideas about change, like I know they're so harmful, you know, and so that's just for who I am as a person. It's very counterintuitive to have to remind myself like, okay, the thing that you're going to do is nothing. Don't do anything. You know, don't make any changes to your body. Like
1: just chill. No, I I mean, I think that's, that's so honest and relatable. It's really like we, it's so easy to overattach to something, right? This idea that like you don't actually have to make it mean anything that you're not feeling great. And I think about this with mental health for me, I think about this with depression, like it's, or anxiety or different things. Like I'm trying to, and again, like you said, it's like easier said than done, like all of these things, but I'm trying not to be so scared of feeling bad, I guess. Like, it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel lonely. It's okay to feel angry. It's okay, like all these things. And like, nothing's wrong with me that I'm having a bad body image day, right? Like we live in a oppressive diet culture. (laughs) I mean, like, of course that's gonna happen. And so like, to your (laughs) point to be like, okay, like the cultural messaging of now I'm supposed to do any one of these number of things to fix it. I already know that that doesn't work. So how about I just, don't do anything. This doesn't have to mean anything. We're allowed to have bad days.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of my first, me and my therapist always joke. I'm like, my plan is no plan. Mm-hmm. I don't have a plan. I'm not doing anything. Like, <laughs> And it is hard if you have that type of brain that does want to plan and does want to do something to just, yeah, I think for a while there, I used to be like, oh, I'm really good at just sitting with my feelings. And that was a huge lie. I'm not good at sitting with my feelings. I don't know why I thought that, but... <laughs> I think for me, that's kind of the biggest, because in the past, my reaction to that feeling is, you know, immediately to say, well, I need to go back on a diet or, okay, you need to start exercising, you know, a crazy amount or just making all these changes that I know are super harmful, but because that feeling, you know, it's a crappy feeling and you want to alleviate it and you want to make it go away. And so I made all these decisions that, you know, really unhealthy. And so now, you know, it's kind of like working a muscle of like, okay, I have to sit here and I can't do anything like, and you have to work really hard to do nothing, you know, which is so funny and counterintuitive, but it's yeah. not my usual method of dealing with stuff so that it's still, you know, it's a great tool that I have, but it's still a tool that it doesn't come naturally yet. You know, I still have to
1: very much like put post-its around, but like, do not do anything like <laughs> Right. Like your life isn't a problem to be solved, right? Like every single thing doesn't have to be fixed. I mean, also I think, you know, we have been getting messages from so many different directions for literally decades, right? For lots of us. And that kind of stuff doesn't just switch off like a light switch overnight, just because you have learned, Mm -hmm. Hey, dieting doesn't work just because you've learned, Hey, like these things. It doesn't mean like a lot of this messaging is really deeply rooted. And so I think there also is like some grace and self-kindness, which I think you're speaking to of like, oh, sure. It's natural that my reaction is to want to take one of these like culturally sanctioned, you know, and Mm -hmm. applauded things. Okay. But I'm not going to do that. But it doesn't mean that there's like anything wrong with the fact that that's the urge that came up because it was programmed into you. That's what you're supposed to think, right? (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Yeah. Any other um, tools that you want to speak to that have been helpful? I think for me, and this is very specific to kind of my both
0: issues and work, but for me, it's very important to keep, I call them. So when I have these days where I feel crappy about my body, I always call them like bad body days or something similar. So I always make sure that I have clothing that works for the bad body days. And what that means for me is like stuff that no matter how I'm feeling about my body, I can put it on and leave the house. And it works, you know, it's enough of a real outfit that if I have to go to like, you know, a meeting or something, it'll, you know, it's not pajamas, but it's something that is physically comfortable, but also that speaks enough to my personal style that I still feel like me because I've had times in the past where it's like, oh man, like, okay, I've got to leave the house. I've got to go to this thing. I'm having a crappy body day, so I'm going to put on this thing, but it's just like, not all. And so being able to find like a few things that like, Hey, you know, maybe it's just kind of like, for me, I've got this, um, it's a top from a Nashville brand, Elizabeth Suzanne that I love and I'm very obsessed with. It's their Harper tunic. And it's this amazing kind of oversized tunic. That's got this like really cool pocket. And every time I wear it, people are always like, we love that pocket. And so my go-to outfit is like that. And then a pair of like, you know, really comfortable pants, you know, be they like wide pants or stretchy pants or whatever. And from there, you know, I can kind of dress it up if I want. I can wear real jewelry. I can wear, you know, crazy makeup or something. Or I can just go pretty neutral. But it still feels enough like, okay, this is kind of a Virginia outfit. But it's very, I never worry about fitting into it. I never worry about so many of the body things I worry about with other clothing. So just knowing like, hey, I don't have to wear it all the time. But I've got that hanging in my closet. Because we, you know, those are those days happen where it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I feel really bad about my body. And I really just want to wear PJs, but I have a business meeting or something to go to, you know, and yeah, stuff I like that it, just have to kind of get dressed in a way that often it's really hard to do with that feeling. So kind of creating for me, it's been about taking the time to kind of create a few standard outfits that I created with all these feelings in mind and that kind of hold space for like, Hey, what do you wear on those days when getting dressed seems
1: literally impossible? You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, but I, again, it's funny that I didn't realize that like fantasy reality thing was going to be a theme running through this conversation. <laughs> but it's again this idea of, I think, like the fantasy of, let's say, like good body image, or, you know, wh- I, I don't even know like what terminology yeah. to use or what people would say, but is that you always feel good or, you know, whatever the idealized version of that is. Like, And that's not even taking into account, you know, like folks with disordered eating backgrounds or, you know, with that type of stuff. So, but like, that's not real. Like, I think you can have really solid, like, self esteem and, like, image, like self image and all this stuff. And it doesn't mean that there aren't still days where this kind of stuff gets to you. And I think pretending that that's not the case, right? Or like, then that just makes, People feel bad in the like, what's wrong with me that I'm still struggling with this? When the answer is nothing's wrong with you. So, like, how about instead that you kind of like, that's a tool you build around that. Like, I love this idea of sort of when you're feeling good and strong, whatever that looks like, whether it's a mental health capacity or body image, like making a plan to essentially like take care of future you who isn't feeling so great. And like, I think about this again, like bringing it back to mental health stuff, like, when I'm not well, I have a really hard time reaching out for help. And I think that's pretty common. But when yeah. I am well, something I've started to do with like close friends and, you know, family and people and be like, Hey, there's going to be a time in the future where I'm not going to feel so great. Can can we do these three things when that happens? Right. Or just like when you do yes. feel able to make yes. a plan, whatever that looks like. So I love this idea of like, what are the outfits that I feel good in and that feel comfortable, literally, no matter what, no matter where I am in my menstrual cycle, no matter where, you know, any of these different things that play yeah, into how sure. we feel. Sure. Yeah. I think that that's, that's awesome. That's like such a cool tool and perspective.
0: Yeah. Cause I think for me, you know, that's a very, again, something that's very related to like my specific issues and stuff, but yeah, that concept of just doing things while you're feeling good to help out the future you, that's not going to feel good. Yeah. Like that's so one thing that I've learned on kind of my mental health journey is how important that is. and. It's one of those things that in hindsight seems really obvious. Like, oh, duh, I should make my plans when I feel good and not when I feel like crap. But I've been having some of the same conversations with friends about, like, hey, we should be really clear about how we support each other when we're not feeling well, because that looks so different for all of us that, you know, trying to make any kind of assumptions or any kind of like, oh, let's just figure it out when it happens, like, that can kind of become a mess. So, you know, how much nicer it is to be like, okay, I know when I feel crappy, you know it did mean everything to me. If you check in once a day via text, you know, or whatever it
1: is. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, and it just so happened to be that, you know, that's kind of my, one of my biggest issues is getting dressed, you know, so I knew I was like, okay, you got to have a plan for this because you do do it every day. And yeah. <laughs> you have a lot of good body days, but you also have a lot of bad ones. So yeah, but, and and I think too that,
1: sometimes it's easy to tell ourselves that we shouldn't need what we need. Like, well, it's just getting yeah. dressed. You do it every day. Like you shouldn't have to have this whole plan. And yeah. like, that's bullshit, right? It's like, that's awesome that you're taking care of yourself in that way. And yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to talk a little bit about um, the like personal styling side of what you do, because I feel like so much of the talk that I've seen around personal style, whether that's like on different blogs or just other spaces in this industry. And obviously I'm generalizing, I'm not like trying to throw everyone under the bus, but I do think that there's a lot of language around like dressing, the importance of dressing in a way that's like, quote, flattering. And so I was hoping that you could talk. Yeah, I know. Like, I know you have feelings about that. So I'm interested if you could talk about like how you feel about this idea of like a flattering look being the end goal of getting dressed every day.
0: I am a big believer that flattering should not be the end goal of getting dressed. And I certainly, I mean, I absolutely understand wanting to feel good and look good in your clothes. I mean, I'm not at all maligning, you know, oh, if you want stuff to be flattering, bleh, you know, not at all. But I think that if we only let ourselves wear what is quote unquote flattering, that's quite limiting because that excludes you from a lot of really cool stuff. And I think B, we have to, I mean, I think in my experience, 99% of the time, flattering is synonymous with looking as thin as possible, as slim as possible. And so we need to kind of examine, like, why are we so obsessed with that? Why is that so desirable? Why have I been taught that, you know, I only should be dressing to make me look as small as possible, you know, because it all kind of ties back into the larger diet culture. Like, you know, we as culture are kind of obsessed with thinness, you know, so that's why. But I think, you know, I've just thought of all the cool things that I wear now that I missed out on because they weren't flattering. And it's like, oh, my goodness. Like, and to me, it is also... I don't know who this quote is attributed to, but I'm sure you've seen it floating around, that kind of concept of like, you know, pretty is not the rent you pay in the world as a woman or something like that, you know. And I think that extends to clothing as well as like, you don't have to look quote unquote flattering, aka as thin as possible, like all the time to be worthy of anything, you know? And so I just, I think I absolutely understand why people have that feeling. I have that feeling all the time. I still am trying to unlearn. You know, I'll put on stuff and think this isn't flattering. You know, and I just kind of pause and be like, all right, let's think about this. But for me, I think it's so important. You know, just at least to kind of start having that conversation with each other and with ourselves about like, why are we so hung up on that concept? Because I think, yeah, I mean, it's just like fashion can be weird and fun and kooky, and it's all about you as a person and your personality and man, like the last thing I want is to be restricted by what's flattering, you know? Mm. And so I am honestly, I'm kind of over it as a concept. And yeah, it really is, I think, in my experience as well. So many personal styling things are kind of centered around that. And, you know, kind of the idea that, oh, everyone wants to look, you know, as thin as possible, as flattering as possible all the time. And to me, I would love for people to be like, hey, I would love for that not to be our collective goal of clothing. You know, like, let's find a way to get you dressed that is really joyful for you in however that looks. And let's find a way to get you into outfits that really make, you know, to me, it's not all about how you look. It's about how you feel. Like, do you feel like yourself and like the best version of yourself and what you're wearing? And if that's like a hot dog costume, yeah, I'm all for it, honestly. Yeah. Like, I would so much rather you do that than be like, oh, I'm wearing this quote unquote flattering thing, but I'm uncomfortable
1: and I don't feel good. And this isn't me, you know? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think everything that you just said, yes, exclamation point, like a hundred percent. And of course there's, yeah, so many like threads to pull at and dig deeper. And I agree just like, yeah. but having that conversation, I feel like this speaks to what we were talking about before about the need to unlearn stuff, because I think yeah. that's so accepted of like, well, yeah, I'm supposed to buy things that are flattering. And you're right. That when we say that, that means you know, that make me look thin, that make this look toned, that make my boobs look this way, you know, whatever the beauty standards are, we all know what they are. Right. And like flattering is kind of this, like, I don't know, like more acceptable way to say that, I guess, but just this concept of, okay, like we all have to fit our like very different bodies into these rules of what's flattering and what kind of stripes you can wear and like what colors you can wear. And all this is just like, oh my God, like. To as opposed to what you said of asking yourself instead of the question of like, does this feel flattering? Do I feel good in this? Do I feel like me? Do I feel the way that I want to feel? And I think that's different for different folks. But yeah, Yeah. that just sounds like such a more joyful like line of questioning.
0: Yeah. And for me, that could be everything from like, you know, I have days where because I am an old things nerd, like I go to a lot of estate sales. So I have kind of like an estate sale outfit which I wear because it's very comfortable and it can get dirty because of state sales. In my experience, I've crawled some weird places to like get at cool stuff. But then I have other days where I'm like, I want to dress with the essence of like, I don't know, a Renaissance princess, you know? So like, it can be as fun and as weird as you want. But it's like, to me, that's a good outfit is when I wake up with that feeling of like, how do I want to feel today? And I dress from there versus, okay, how do I want to look today?
1: You know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Yeah. Which it seems potentially like the same thing, but it's not the same thing. Like there's a nuance there. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And
0: sometimes they do align, you know, like sometimes you do have stuff that it's quote unquote flattering and you feel great in, you know, and that's not at all to say like, you can't wear stuff that other people tell you, you look good in, or that is kind of conventionally understood to look good on whatever your body looks like. But I think mean for me, it's just always, let's come back to like, let's just make sure we, kind of examine that feeling, you know, yeah. let's not let it slide in
1: completely unchecked, you know? Yeah. I mean, and I think what you're speaking to, it's, it's probably hard to articulate because it's such an intuitive thing. Like I would assume yeah. that everyone listening knows what it feels like when you feel awesome in what you're wearing for whatever number of reasons. Right. And like you said, maybe it's something that gets complimented by other people. Maybe it's something that other people think is kind of outlandish or they would never wear themselves or whatever, but we know yeah. intuitively what that feels like when you're like, yeah, I feel awesome in this. Yeah. Yeah, Totally. I mean, this this kind of like sparks something else that I think I've heard you talk about maybe on Instagram, but this idea that clothing can seem frivolous, but mm-hmm. actually this idea that it can be really political. Can you talk about that a little bit?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think for me, I mean, clothing, you wear it on your body, which is your only guaranteed home in this life. You know, like how more intimate could something be, you know, it is right there, you know, it is with us through all this stuff, you know, and it's this incredible kind of universal experience of like, we all wear clothing. And I think for me, just because of clothing's relationship to the body, you know, like clothing, whole concept of clothing is to put it on our bodies, because of the connection with bodies, you know, it's kind of inherently political, you know, we're not, when we talk about so many of these things politically, you know, we're not talking about abstract concepts. So we're talking about actual people's lives and their actual experiences in their bodies, you know. So for me, I think clothing is such a kind of sometimes sneaky way to like get people to talk about stuff that, you know. I kind of start with the clothing, and then you can kind of leave the clothing because for me, it's like the fastest way to to, to talk about bodies or, you know, from kind of my perspective, always wanting to talk about body image, you know, and all of that kind of stuff is like, yeah, like, okay, we're going to start talking about like a corset, but then we're going to end up talking about like beauty standards, you know? Mm -hmm. And just, you know, clothing is such a witness to our lives. And, you know, I think as well, there's a whole kind of also a whole nother kind of train of thought off of this of just kind of the connection to women's work that clothing has and kind of the domestic sphere, you know, and that's a whole angle of kind of fashion history as well. It's like, Hey, this is kind of a very historically feminine thing. And I think sometimes that's why it's easy to dismiss as frivolous. It's like, Oh, you like clothes Like, when you're a girl, you know, Mm -hmm. but the many ways in which people have wielded clothing and textile and, you know, different, you know, everything down to embroidery art, you know, to be really political and make statements or, um, One of my favorite, and I'm going to say one of my favorite, and I should know more details about this because it's my favorite, but there's a jacket that was embroidered by a woman. Her name was Agnes, and I don't remember her last name. It's like a very, if you Google any kind of combination of this, you'll find it. She was a patient in a mental asylum, who I believe in Germany. Like I said, I should know this, but she embroidered Essentially, it was kind of like a bodice, you know, that she would have worn that she wasn't wearing in the hospital. But while she was there, she basically used it as like a diary, you know, and was embroidering about her experience on the bodice because that was what she had in terms of materials to work with. And every time I see it or think about it, I think both as someone who is mentally ill and someone who, like, is an embroiderer and who studies what I study, I'm just like, oh my God, you know, like she. Recorded her experience on her clothing because that was what she had, you know. Mm-hmm. And that just blows my mind every time. Or just, you know, just the way the whole sphere kind of works. Or just even, you know, everything down to personal memories. you I know, mean, like my grandmother teaching me how to sew and all these things, and then how we use that to, you know, maybe because I know how to sew, I know how to make myself something that makes me feel good, which says a few to beauty standards, you know, and this incredible kind of constant full circle thing that's going of like our role in this really, really powerful system of clothing, you know? And so I, to me, it seems so obviously political, you know? And then there's the whole like politics of the fashion system itself, you know, that's a whole nother conversation, but yeah, I just, I think it's so, it's constantly inspiring to me. You know, I think it's, The coolest thing in the world.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and obviously you just touched lightly on lots of different things that themselves could be like whole conversations, but yeah, yeah, just, just this other perspective and lens of thinking about it, that it's like, well, clothing goes on our bodies and bodies are political. Like (laughs) that's just right. That's how things are. And then you look at like, okay, well you look at, I mentioned fast fashion before you, you look at like, okay, who's making clothing and like, what's the, you know, the politics around that. And the politics around, you know, like who has access to which different things and what's affordable for folks and what's not. Yeah, there's just like so much stuff there. So yeah, starting to think about that. Yeah, I love that. Something, this might be like kind of a weird thing to share, but one of the things that I am finding that I'm really loving about Mm -hmm. used clothing, which Mm -hmm. obviously applies to vintage clothing too, but is thinking about like maybe the woman who owned the clothing before me. Like there's something in that, like with these jeans that I'm like, these are really soft because somebody else broke them in. And when I'm really excited that I went out for Thai food and that these jeans fit well enough that I can eat a huge meal and not be uncomfortable, I'm like, oh my God, like, was that the experience of someone who wore these before me? Or like, what did she do in these? Janet, do you ever think about that?
0: Oh my goodness. Yes, absolutely. And I think especially with vintage, because the eras I tend to wear most are things from the 1940s and 1950s. And especially 50s, like where things are fitted just if you get something that fits you really well, you know, that means that whoever's body it was, was like really close to yours, you know, because it's pretty fitted. And so I've had that thought all the time, you know, or especially when things are handmade and being like, oh my goodness, like someone made this, you know, and we had, you know, we have the same body. And I think my hope, it's one of those things where it's sometimes easier to extend kindness to others, to ourselves. And I try and remind myself of this, to remind myself to be nice to myself, because I always think like, I hope this woman who had my shared body never had a single day where she felt bad about it, you know? I hope she only ever got dressed in joy and I hope she only ever looked in the mirror and loved what she saw, you know? Because deep down, like, that's my hope for myself, you know?
1: Yeah, I think that's lovely. It's like such a nice way to think about that and especially to think like, yeah, someone, you know, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, whatever it was, you know, like wore this thing and that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's one of my favorite parts about wearing you know everything from old old vintage to yeah just something you found at Goodwill's it's like it's got a little something in it you know a little something special from whoever and it's fascinating when you can learn more about the specific stories but sometimes it's really cool not to know anything you know and you just
1: kind of know like yeah these jeans are super soft and amazing like thanks whoever had them and yeah totally them in, you know i mean it's funny like what you just said was a connection that i had never thought of before when it comes to used clothing vintage clothing whatever that this idea that I talk about all the time of the power of any situation that reminds you that you're not alone. Right. And I think, especially when it comes to body image stuff, like I don't think anyone thinks they're the only person who's ever struggled with body image, right? Like that's, I think um, uh, not a a myth that exists really anymore, but it does feel really isolating when you're having those days or those moments. And it can feel like, wow, why does everyone else have it together? And I don't looking at like how people are dressed or it's easy to tell yourself those stories. And just to be able to put on a piece of clothing, that there was at least someone else that that fit them well. Right. Or that their yeah. torso wasn't too long or short for or that their bust fit yeah. in or whatever the things are. There's yeah. just like this little moment of like, okay, I'm not alone. Like someone else had this body too, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. That's so good. So I know that you work with women who have, as you say, fallen out of love with dress, dressing themselves, which I think is like such a nice way to say that. And is such like a simple yeah. and relatable <laughs> experience. Can you share a little bit about your process, like what does it look like to work with you? I know you work in a couple of different arenas and like offer a couple of different things, but I'm interested to just hear more of like how you go about the work that you do.
2: Yeah,
0: so my work really you know kind of came, and for a long time it was just a feeling you know I did not know how to articulate what I wanted to do, but as we talked about previously, you know, I was kind of back from grad school and I was seeing you know I kind of knew like okay, I think I figured out that like I want to help people you know get dressed and like feel good about clothes in their bodies, because this is something I've had to learn how to do. I'm pretty good at it. And then I was seeing all of this kind of talk about, you know, personal style, you know, all of this stuff that was very centered on like flattering stuff or like, I don't remember what was said, but I remember watching some kind of like someone's free webinar or something. And they used all this like very fat phobic language and me being like, whoa, like, why are we talking about clothing in this way? Like this, nah. And so I think that's kind of when the seeds got planted. Like, I think I can do this one better. You know, like I, as someone who's been there, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to tell you. I think just with the perspective of someone who has dealt with so much stuff with her body, I just have a completely different perspective of like, okay, you know, that's absolutely not a requirement to work with me, but kind of like, I know how to hold space for that because I've been there, you know. So for me, a lot of my process comes out of, you know, my very, niche and very hodgepodge experience of like, you know, I don't know how many personal stylists are also fashion historians and also have eating disorders and stuff like that. But I think for me, it is so much about getting a client. This stuff is so individualized, you know, so it's absolutely about, you know, I built in a lot of time for me to speak with people so that, you know, we can kind of get to know each other because clothing is so personal, you know, this is not going to work if I don't know anything about you, you know, or if we don't really get to kind of what's going on. So to me, that's so important. It's just like, hey, everyone is so different. And what works for me, clothing wise, might not work for you, you might not want it to work for you, you know, and that's totally this is not to use like a clothing pun, you know, it's absolutely not a one size fits all situation, you know. And so from there, I think I kind of you know, I offer several different services and they range from pretty kind of standard personal stylist fare to some things that are definitely born out of my super unique experience like when I mentioned earlier about these outfits for kind of bad body image days like that's a service that I offer because I was like, hey, I don't know if anyone else offers anything like this, you know, and like, okay, I want to help you do the exact same thing because I know how crappy that feeling is. So like, yeah, let's get you some really awesome outfits for the next time you have a day where you just wake up and are like, nope, I want to wear my duvet out of the house, you know? (laughs) So for me, I think so much of kind of the creation of my process was just me looking at my own life and being like, what do I wish I could have had? You know, where do I see gaps in this industry that I've spent a lot of time in? Like where, you know, where are things missing? And I think that you know, like we touched on earlier, this is such a universal thing. I think in some ways it's kind of odd to me that more stylists don't approach things from like, hey, getting dressed really tough. Like, let's come up with some like great solutions and I'll learn some stuff and unpack some stuff and make getting dressed fun. You know, I'm like, why are we still on the flattering bit? Like,
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: you know, in a way. And I just, I think I really had always wanted someone to name some of these things. And I thought, you know what? Like, it might be too late for your experience, but like, you can start naming them for someone else. Like, you can help leverage your own experience. I think that's a huge part of my work is leveraging my own experience to help other people feel more comfortable. You know, it's like, yeah, I've learned a lot of this stuff and I want to pass it on, you know, because like I've said again and again, you know, getting dressed is hard. We have to do it every day, you know, and if it is a rocky process,
1: you know, that's the worst thing. You gotta do it every day. Yeah. I mean, and also to like your point from earlier about how we're not robots and our bodies change, like, Maybe it felt like relatively easy to dress yourself in a certain period of your life, but then, you know, maybe your body changer, or you had a baby, or you got a career in an industry that requires you to wear different things, or like, there's just so many things that happen throughout the course of a life that would cause changes in the getting dressed process. And that can feel disorienting too, right? So, I mean, I guess maybe this is like a specific thing to ask, but. Do you have any questions that you love asking people or that you love for people to ask themselves to help them identify like what feels like their current like most true personal style? And this is a totally selfish question because I'm in that space right now. It's like, "Okay, well I yeah. can button my jeans, so like WTF do I want to do it elsewhere?" <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah, so I think for me, I have a few questions that I always ask just because I think they give a really good sense of what's going on with people. And again, it all, you know, people are at different stages. So sometimes people are really clear on like, I know exactly what's making it tough to get dressed. And sometimes people are like, this sucks and I don't know why. But as best as I can, I always try and just ask people straight up, you know, what's, okay, just what's the hardest part of the process? You know, what is it? And I always like to ask people when we're getting started working together to tell me about their favorite thing in their wardrobe, whether it's, you know, like, the jeans I wear every day to maybe it's something you don't actually wear, but you're like, oh, you know, it's a sentimental thing or it's something someone gave me and I don't really wear it, but I really love it. Because I think that to me always gives such an interesting insight into what people have and why they love what they love. And, you know, that's honestly a question I ask just out of curiosity, just because I love hearing about it. I'm like, yes, like tell me about what you love. Because I think that's as just an important part of the process is like, hey, we're going to talk about a lot of hard stuff, but like, I also want to hear about the good stuff. You know, like, what do you have right now that makes you happy? Yeah,
1: I think that's such a good question though, because I think that it's really common in lots of different areas to focus on the things that aren't working, which obviously like that's fine too, right? Like I don't go and talk to my therapist exclusively about the things that are great. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's it's great to talk about the things that aren't working, but I do think that it's easy to get stuck in that place. And not to ask ourselves like this, some version of this question of like, what is working, right? Like, we don't have to totally reinvent the wheel. Like, whether it's like a, you know, self care thing of like, what activities like really do make you feel like nurtured and Mm -hmm. good and safe? Or which outfit that when you put it on, like, do you feel like banging awesome, right? And like, and then those kinds of things, I think that there's a lot of power in like asking yourself that and then like building off of that. Well, okay. I know that this makes me feel good. Huh? Why? Whether it's an activity or a person or a, you know, like a piece of clothing and to actually start to interrogate, like, why do I love what I love? And then how can I sort of maybe create a formula out of that and replicate it a little bit? I don't know. That's just what I thought about when you were sharing that.
0: Yeah. Cause I think for me, it's all about, you know, when you love something, you're excited about it. And in kind of speaking about it and being excited. It's like, you're going to touch on a lot of kind of core things for you that, you know, whether you say them explicitly or not, but it's like, yeah, it gives a lot of info about who you are as a person, I think, you know, and I always want to know like, oh, okay. I think it's, yeah, just very helpful to, and I think for a lot of people, sometimes that's the thing that they're trying to get back to, you know, is maybe like, oh, I have this really colorful thing and I never wear it because I'm freaked out of color or like, Oh, I have this cool vintage thing of my grandmother's, but like, I don't really know how to wear vintage, you know? And like a lot of the times the things you love are kind of like where we end up going, you know, mm-hmm. and they're not necessarily what your entire wardrobe reflects, but it's like, yeah, if you feel really passionate about
1: something, like there's there's probably a reason you have it around, you know? Yeah. yeah, totally. So yeah, I think that's a great question. This idea of like, what do you love? What is working? Are, is there any other, are there any other questions that you really like to ask people?
0: I mean, I think for me, it's really important at the beginning, you know, this is kind of a very general question, but when working with people to ask, you know, to kind of just take into account the fact that this can be a really difficult process. And I really, I like to ask people, you know, if there's going to be stuff that is going to be difficult to talk about, if there are ways I can hold space for them, you know, and I think sometimes to kind of move beyond the actual clothes, clothes of like, hey, you're interested in finding tunic length sweaters, you know, and your size and be like, hey, okay, we're about to embark on a process that sometimes can get, you know, depending on what service you're after, depending on where you are in your life, like it can be tough. And so kind of having some time up front to just be like, hey, let's check in and be like, you know, is there something you're really nervous about? You know, are you really freaked out by the idea of having to maybe try stuff on, Are you scared to talk about sizing, stuff like that? Because to me, that stuff is so important to getting dressed, but it, you know, it kind of goes beyond clothing. So sometimes it's easy to feel like, oh, how is that relevant? She's just doing personal shopping for me. You know, why does she need to know, like, what part of the process feels so heavy for me? You know, like, why do we need to dig in the why behind that? But it's like, yeah, because it's not just about, you know, finding a sweater in your size. And to me, it's like, if we don't, Kind of dig into that stuff. It's just kind of like a bandaid, you know. Like, okay, I got some new sweaters. I didn't really dig into like why I don't like everything that I have, or like my fear of trying things on, you know. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's very much like, okay, yeah, let's acknowledge just off the bat that this. And for some people, you know, it's not like some people. It is pretty straightforward. It's like, hey, I'm looking for some things in this size, and it's like, cool, no problem, you know. But I always like at least to give people the chance to kind of tell me what's going on and what aspect of the process feels really heavy because I think that's, you know, like, yeah, that's where I want to help you. You know, it's like what part of this is just weighing you down.
1: Yeah. Because that's what we're going to work on, you know? Right. And to like acknowledge that that's fine and that you can still like end up with a great result anyway.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because yeah, I think anything that to me, I just couldn't imagine not, I just can't imagine getting kind of the end result that I would want to get with someone without asking kind of the deeper questions, you know, I'm like, Oh, just, you telling me you like bright colors, like that doesn't help, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Even though like, I know it does help in a way, but... It's not the whole picture. It's not the whole picture. Yeah. And I think if we really want to get, you know, if you really want to get past some of this stuff for real, it's like, all right, yeah. We all know it's not always fun to dive into our own personal like darknesses, but the end result is so much more authentic, you know? Like I promise you, it's going to be much better to kind of deal with that stuff up front than to be like, oh, you know, yeah, I have all these jeans in a smaller size that I keep around just in case one day it's like, ooh, we need to talk about why you have those jeans around, you yeah. know?
1: <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. And once you start to dig in, yeah, totally. You might have
0: some new jeans, but then the old jeans are still there, you know, like taunting you. So it's like, yeah,
1: yeah, no, totally. I love that. <laughs> So pivoting a little bit, um, I, I don't, I'm trying to remember, I think it was something that you said on Instagram, but it might've been somewhere else through like the deep dive of your work. You said something that I thought was really interesting that I made a note of, and it was something about like having spent a period of time like letting yourself enjoy your comfort zone like this idea ah yeah that I've been thinking about that a lot lately of sort I mean I talk about this a lot sort of the balance of grit and grace like of course there's a lot of value in you know doing new things doing scary things like pushing yourself to go to Scotland or you know whatever or study something new but this idea that like, it doesn't always have to be about pushing yourself to do things that scare you and like intentionally like letting yourself enjoy your comfort zone. Can you talk about that a little bit? I thought that was so interesting.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's been a concept I've been, it's been interesting to see how that's kind of changed in my mind over the past few years. Because I think for probably most of my life, I was wearing those, like, you know, life is outside of your comfort zone, like push yourself. Ugh, that's the way it is. And I think while I was in grad school, you know, I was just struggling so much mental health wise that, you know, just like doing day to day stuff and just the bare bones of life was exhausting, you know? So I was like, with what energy do I have to push myself? And I saw a quote, I think it was on Tumblr or something. And I don't remember who said it. I believe it was an author who was being interviewed and he was talking about his comfort zone and... He was kind of saying, he's like, you know, my comfort zone, like I've worked really hard to make my comfort zone. And people are telling me I have to leave it. But like, I worked really hard to make a space where I am comfortable. Why wouldn't I want to stay there? And I think at the time, you know, I read that at a time where that so resonated with me because I was like, yes, like I worked so hard just to feel okay. Why on earth would I jeopardize that, you know? And so for a while there, I was just like, comfort zone is key. Yes, like never push yourself, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I was kind of the comfort zone princess. And I think as, you know, time has passed, I've gotten more help for my mental health, you know, more resources on medication, great support team. I think now I can really see how it's not like most things in life. It's not a black and white. It's not an all or nothing. It's not a, you're always pushing yourself or you're always in your comfort zone. It's like, for me, comfort zone is kind of like a tool like we talked about earlier. It's like, okay, it's a thing I have in my toolkit of like, I know my how to make myself feel good and comfortable and safe. And sometimes you need that, you know, and it's totally okay to go to that spot. But I've also seen how many cool things come from pushing myself and challenging myself. And I have to kind of remind myself that it can be scary, but they're really cool end results. And so for me, I know that I am very... If I'm in one phase, it's not long before I'm in the other phase. So if I'm kind of feeling like a comfort zone phase, I just try and accept it. And I'm like, hey, that's okay. Because you know, you know, in a few days or in a week, you're going to feel a little antsy and you're going to want to do something that pushes yourself. And that's awesome. And then maybe I push myself and maybe I push myself too far. And I say, okay, let's bring in some more of that comfort zone time. But I think, you know, like everything, it's a balance and it's uh, acceptance of wherever I am at whatever point I am, because if you try and, I don't know, there are some situations where you do just have to push yourself out of the comfort zone, regardless of whether or not you want to,
1: but I think I know you'll come back around to a point where you want to, you know, Mm. so it's okay if you don't want to right now. Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's so much just humanness, basically, in what you just said, that this (laughs) <laughs> this idea that i think the comfort zone sort of gets demonized right or that it's like it's yeah. said as like a well you don't want to stay in your comfort zone or growth doesn't happen in your comfort zone and sure maybe that's true but i love your idea of it being sort of cyclical and it comes around and not every season or every time is the right time to be pushing yourself to your limits right and yeah. to be able to recognize it's the same thing with like oh maybe this is not a great body image day right like to have those tools of like okay i know what my comfort zone looks like and to think of it as like nothing is forever. It's not comfort zone all the time. It's not pushing yourself yeah. to be uncomfortable and terrified and do new things all the time. Like neither of those are sustainable. Like I think one leads to burnout and one leads to boredom, right? So it's like being able to go back and forth between them. But I just really like your emphasis on it's awesome to be in your comfort zone sometimes, right, like that like you said, yeah. like we work hard for that to be able to find a comfortable place where you can be like at home in yourself, you know, and that's I think again a lot easier said than done for a lot of folks, and so the fact that you have found something that feels comfortable, it's like, why would I not want to do that sometimes?
0: yeah, it's really tough, I think, yeah, we have this idea that the like comfort zone is the default, but I think for a lot of us, it's not like it's really hard to get to the comfort zone, you know.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. there's, I mean, there's so much stuff in there. I think about what just popped into my head is just how much trouble I have had in the past. And I know that I'm not alone. I've talked to lots of other friends, mm-hmm. particularly other female friends of like the ability to give yourself permission to rest or permission for yeah. pleasure, like to seek pleasure for the sake of pleasure, whatever that looks like, that these are things um, that we're actively taught not to do. And so it's like being able to do that, if you can get to that point or when you can get to that point, that's awesome. It's like, not not to say like that it's rebellious to do so, but there is something in that to be like, no, I'm going to make myself comfortable, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. For sure. So uh, we are towards the end of the year-ish and I'm always, as a planner, always interested <laughs> in how people think about or approach that. Like, are you a Goal setter, do you have any specific like dreams or intentions for 2019? Like, how do you think about that?
0: I used to be a really big resolution person, and now I'm not so much anymore. I always love hearing people's thoughts on it as well because I feel like I get really good ideas. I know a lot of people who I follow in life, you know, a lot of people do like, okay, I'm going to pick a word for 2019. And I always think that's a really cool concept of like, hey, just have a word that you're really kind of shooting for. And for me, I think I always make like a very kind of freewheeling list of like stuff I want to do more of in the year. And I think I I really try and frame it in like a positive way because I think so much of my experience with like New Year and resolutions, you know, it's diet culture stuff. You know, so much of my background is like, this is the year I'm losing the weight or it's January, you ate too much during the holidays. And so, so many of my kind of New Year's plans historically have been made out of, you know, they come from like a really mean to myself place. And so I've been trying, you know, however official or unofficial I get with my plans. I try and say, hey, whatever you're going to do, whether it's a list or a word or an actual resolution, like, you know, come from a positive place. You yeah. know, sometimes I, I think there was one year where I was getting really into cooking and I was like, okay, like, I'm going to try and like cook like a new thing once a week, you know, cause I was like, I love cooking and I want to do more of this, you know? And so it always just turns into kind of like a wish list of like stuff I want to do. And I've gotten to the point where I'm very relaxed about it. I'm like, if you do it, cool. If not, no big deal, you know? And so I think, again, as we kind of talked about previously, a lot of my New Year's plans is resisting the urge. I think especially it gets really tough in January. And I've heard from people with similar experiences that I think a lot of us feel this way. New Year's are really tough for those of us who struggle with body stuff because of the kind of cultural, like, you know... January is everyone joins a gym month, you know? And so I think for me, so much of the start of the year is like, hey, other people might be doing things, but I'm doing nothing because, you know, don't do any of those things that are bad. You know, it's like, don't go join a gym out of some reason, like to lose weight. If you want to join a gym because you want to move your body joyfully, awesome, you know, but it's kind of that same principle that I have to hold on to in other areas of my life. I like, okay, you can do things if they're
1: positive, but don't do negative things, you know, just do nothing. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I think that's really well said. And I also think, again, it's this idea of like widening the lens and like just interrogating things a little more because there's like nothing wrong with having like plans or goals or intentions or however loose you are or aren't with that. But it's taking that step back to be like, why am I choosing this thing? Right. Am I choosing this thing? Because all the messaging around me is telling me that like, the diet starts on January 1st or, you know, like whatever bullshit, Yeah, but like to actually like take a step back and look at like, huh, why do I want the things that I say that I want? And sometimes it's because you really want them. And sometimes it's because yeah. you think that you should want them. And yeah, I, I love that you brought that up. So I guess like perhaps like a more specific or better question to ask, you know, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be like thinking of 2019 as a whole, but like in general, when you think forward, yeah. like three months, six months, what feels really important to you?
0: I think for me, growing my business is... And not just important from like a financial or it's what I do for work, but just from an excitement standpoint of, you know, this is all a fairly new venture for me. And so, you know, there's been so much behind the scenes planning that happened, you know, for months before I even told anyone, like, hey, I'm going to start offering services as a personal stylist. So telling people that's what I do and doing that, you know, it's still so exciting and so new. So it's so fun to share and to try and you know, change people's minds and get them thinking differently about clothes and help people realize that like, Hey, some of the stuff that sucks around getting dressed, like it doesn't have to suck forever. And so I think what I think of that, I mean, I am so lucky to, I mean, it really does kind of blow my mind how lucky I am to have, you know, to kind of have, be so sure of knowing what I want to do and to have the opportunity to build a business around that and be like, I get to do exactly what I want. And I get to help people in exactly the way I want and exactly the way I'm best qualified to do so. And it's just like the incitement. And I think for me, you know, it's, it is so wonderful to help other people, but it's also such a source of inspiration for me. Like I just find the whole field of fashion and clothing and connecting with people around all this so endlessly inspiring, you know? So it's like it re-energizes me as well. So it's Mm -hmm. like, I just keep getting more amped and it's like, man, you really need to stop drinking so much coffee and yelling about fashion to everyone in your life. But I love it. I think I just, the more I do kind of the deeper I get into this work, the more it affirms like, yeah, like this is important and this is necessary. And like, this is exactly where I'm meant to be. And, you know, it's definitely been a fun, I'm sure anyone you've talked to in a similar boat, you know, anyone who's starting out on the entrepreneurial lifestyle, like it's a fun roller coaster, you know, (laughs) it's been A wild ride. And I'm sure 2019 will continue to be, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of growth. I'm sure there'll be things that, you know, I have no idea how to do. But I think looking ahead for this coming year, I mean, that's the area I just feel so much excitement. You know, I feel kind of like the potential is endless and I just have a million ideas and I'm running a million miles an hour. And that feels really good to just lean to that, you know, and just be like, all right, go. You have full permission to dream as big as you want around this, you know?
1: Yeah. I I mean, I love that. And I think that that's such a good, encouraging, empowering message. I think that's a good place to start to wrap up and how we end these episodes are with some community questions. So basically the Patreon community, the folks who support the show and fund the show, um, every season put forward a handful of questions this season. It's nine of them that basically all eight guests this season are answering the same nine questions. If you're down to answer nine totally random questions. (laughs) Heck yeah, let's do it. All right. So the first question is about self-acceptance. Can you share one thing that you've had to work to accept about yourself?
0: I have had to work really hard to accept that I am like a super feeling intense person right off the bat in my relationships with people because not everyone's like that. And I think I often feel bad and slightly weird of like, oh, you share so much with people like so fast, like you get so invested in relationships, like what's wrong with you, you know, and to kind of realize like, hey, you know, self awareness is always important. And it's always important to, you know, kind of there are parts of that I need to be mindful around but being like, hey, being able to be open and vulnerable and care about people deeply, like that's a strength, you know, and that's something I've been really trying to own like, yeah, maybe I am a total sap. Maybe I'm a total romantic. Maybe I'm the queen of feelings, you know, but those are things about me and I really like them, you know? Yeah.
1: No, I love that. I think that's great. (laughs) Who's someone, maybe a blogger, podcaster, writer, maybe even someone that you just love on social media, who's had an impact on your thinking this year? Like who should we be following and listening to that you really like?
0: Oh my goodness. I mean, I feel like we're really lucky to live in a moment where like I have so many answers to this. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm trying to think like which I feel like there's like people in the fashion sphere. There's like political people. Oh my goodness. Just
1: anyone that you think like, yeah, they really impacted my thinking this year. And I feel like grateful for that.
0: I think for me, I've been following and I've been following her for a while, but I mean, she's just consistently like educating us. If y'all are not following Erica Hart on whatever platform you're on, you know, she's on Instagram and Twitter, et cetera, but she is a sex educator and a breast cancer survivor and is just consistently educating people and consistently blowing my mind and she is awesome and everyone should follow her and learn from her and pay
1: her and support her and her work for sure. Awesome. See, this is how I get suggestions for new cool people to follow. I appreciate it. <laughs>
0: Erica's is so cool. And she always has like the coolest outfits as just like a sidebar. And I'm always like, like I have a crush on your brain, but then also <laughs> your style is amazing. <laughs> oh, God, it's amazing.
1: Good. I'm excited to check her out. What's one place that you'd love to visit in the next year?
0: Oh,
1: so Lambo is like somewhere I've been and want to go
0: back or somewhere new. Mm, anything. I'm hoping, and this is maybe kind of cheating because there's already like tentative plans for this. One of my best friends, her good friend from grad school is going to be finishing up her PhD work in Paris. So I believe we are doing a visit to go see her. And I've been to Paris before, but I'm really excited to go back. Younger me is on trips I've been on was very anxious about travel. And so I wasn't always good at enjoying travel because I was so anxious. So I'm excited to go back to a city I've been to before, but as a slightly more chill adult, you know, like, okay, stop stressing so much about Losing your passport
1: or stuff like that. So, I think whether that trip shakes out or not, I'm excited about that for sure. That's awesome. What's a current favorite self care activity?
0: So, I have been going recently to bar classes, which up until I started going to the studio I go to in Asheville, I was not super familiar with. I think the big franchise is Pure Bar, which a lot of people are familiar with. And this, the studio I go to is kind of an independent studio, but I always like I really like physical activity, but I sometimes have a hard time with it in fitness classes or group environments just because I do never know like, hey, with all of my body stuff, like I've got to be really careful that I'm exercising for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. And you kind of never know, am I going to walk into a space that's really body shamey or how's it going to go down? So it's definitely been an experiment, but the studio I've been going to is awesome. And it's been such a different type of physical activity that like I've never done anything training related before. So it's been really cool to be kind of noting changes in my body that have nothing to do with like gaining or losing weight and more like, hey, a few weeks ago, I couldn't hold a plank very long, but now I can do one this long, you know, and that's so fun to have like a cool body thing that has nothing to do with how I look, you know, it's all about like, a strength feeling thing. So I have been loving that because you walk out feeling like a huge badass of like, yeah, I'm like the buffest person ever, you know, (laughs) I'm not, but That has been really fun and a really great experience as far as like
1: positive
0: exercise and movement experiences go for sure.
1: Yeah. What's one thing that you're objectively pretty bad at, but that you love to do anyway?
0: Oh, this is a good question because I'm one of those people that the second I'm bad at something, I quit it because I'd rather just quit than be bad. I play the mandolin and I'm not a natural musician. And I do it purely out of love and I rarely play for anyone else. And I also sing while I do it in my apartment because I live alone. So it's great. No one can hear me. And it's just kind of a thing I do for me and I will never feel a need to share it with anyone else. But because of that, it does not matter how out of key I am or how fast I am or how in tune my mandolin is. Sometimes it's kind of out of tune. It is a pure Virginia
1: only activity and I love it. I I mean, I love that just as a concept of doing something that's literally just for you, right? There's something in that that feels awesome. Yeah what's something that you've quit in your life that maybe felt really hard to quit at the time, but wound up being the right choice?
2: I mean,
0: this is a big one, but y'all best thing I ever did quit diet culture in whatever way you can officially deciding that I would never go back on a diet. And I would never do that again. It was the scariest decision I've ever made because when you're in that mindset, it feels like, Oh, like diets will fix what's working or what's not working, and. So, when you get rid of that as an option, it's like, oh my God, I have to like my body as is. Like, oh. But while it's been the decision that came with the most work, it is without a doubt the best decision I've ever made yeah. and the most toxic habit I've dumped. That, yeah, guys, I love my it. advice drop it if you can. Yeah. I know it's easier said than done, but yeah, get no, out of there. It's, yeah, it's great.
1: So the next question is about books, which two or three books, like any type of book, any genre at all, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you find yourself recommending or rereading most often?
0: Oh my goodness. This is such a good question. I am a huge book nerd. I love books. Yeah, same. (laughs) I think for me, it's kind of a blend of like, some of the books that have had the biggest impact on me are kind of fashion history books, just because they've introduced me to very specific ideas that have kind of helped open my mind of the things I've talked about, of like, oh, how, you know, how do these concepts help make getting dressed easier? So those are some more kind of niche texts, but my absolute all-time favorite book is called The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. And it's a fiction book and it's about cousins, and it's set kind of right around World War II, and it is a humongous scope of a book. I mean, the amount of ground it covers of just people's lives and time and place, but the 40s are one of my favorite decades for history. So I was already like, yes. And then the story itself is beautiful. And then to me, the ending is probably single-handedly the greatest ending to anything I've ever read in my life. And no matter how many times I read it, I am still overwhelmed by how much it resonates with me. You know, like it has yet to lose any poignancy. And so that is the book that like, I mean, that's always on a desert island list. If I'm making one, you know, it blows my mind every time. And, you know, I just really love the 40s. So
1: that's a really <laughs> strong a testimonial. I'm going to have to check
0: this book out. Yes, you it know, so me. I'm I, on board. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it made
0: it was kind of thing after I read it. I made my mom read it because I didn't know anyone else who'd read it. And I was like, Mom, I want to talk about this book,
1: read it. And now she loves it. So I have definitely had that same thing of like, I need someone <laughs> to discuss this with. So please read this immediately. Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. So the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners, with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take?
0: Oh, oh my goodness. I would say really a tiny action to take as something you and I have talked about. Next time you get some kind of negative thought, whatever that is for you, you know, whether it's a body image thought or any kind of self-deprecating negative thought, my action for you would be the action I am also trying to do myself, this is just as much for me as it is for anyone else listening, would be to really kind of think about like, okay, you know, where did this feeling come from? Where is it rooted in? And to kind of examine that thought as your action. But then the second part of the action is put it away and don't do anything about it. Mm hmm you know, like just the action is sit with it. And I know like, that's kind of a mean action, because I know I'm bad at that. But I promise when I take the time when I'm feeling, you know, these bad body feelings, and I think about like, hey, you are working so hard to unlearn some stuff. Of course, you're thinking stuff like this. You know, I know where it comes from. It's okay. It's crappy night. Don't go back on a diet. Like, it's not the most fun thing you'll ever do. But it really taking time to kind of examine that, but then making sure you're not acting on any kind of, or making any decisions out of that negative place, I think is also really important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like this idea of what we were talking about before, if it doesn't have to mean anything, you don't have to fix it. Like just let things sort of be.
0: Yeah. And I know I'm right there with y'all. Like it is easier said than done. It's not easy, but it is, I mean, it's, it's the good work
1: you put in the work there. It's really important for sure. Yeah. I love it. So, what's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have a favorite way to connect with new folks? I think my favorite way, just for like general chatting, I always joke that my Instagram is like just like an old clothes
0: party, and I love it. Like, I mean this this is not an exaggeration. I'm like, you know, if y'all know me in real life, I'm like if you come over to my house and you throw rocks at my window at four a.m. and are like, Virginia, I want to talk about the 1940s. It's like, yeah, I'm awake. Like, let's do this. <laughs> so, I'm always down to talk about all sorts of things, but especially old clothes. So, at pretty much everywhere. My handle is just my name. So at Instagram, I'm Virginia C. Knight. And so that's probably the best place if you want to find me to just like hang out and chat. My website is VirginiaCnight.com And that has all the, you know, much more info about my background, about how you can work with me. I've got a lot of resources there for people. I've got quizzes and workbooks and a bunch of free like fashion guides. So the website is full of fun stuff. But you know, it's a little more formal of like, you know, you got to go through like a contact form to find me. So if you just want to slide in my DMs and be like, hey, I love the 40s too, yes. come find me. In <laughs> hey, girl, let's talk about the 40s. Yeah, that's amazing. This is all just a plug to get people to talk about the 40s. Like, huh?
1: Yep. Yeah, totally. I'm sure someone's going to pick up what you have just thrown down. No, I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Virginia, thank you so much. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, I want to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam created the music for this show and he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could on my own. You can find him and his music and his sound editing work at adamday.net. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is a 100% listener supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Allison. Hi, Allison. Hi, Nicole. You ready to answer? Yeah, five random questions.
2: (laughs) I am ready to roll. All
1: right, my favorite question first, what are you totally obsessed with right now?
2: Ooh, I feel like I am totally obsessed with community and leadership and learning how those two topics intersect with one another and just growing that skill in myself.
1: I love that. I've been thinking a lot, on the community aspect specifically of like how to create really wonderful, warm, like inclusive, transformative spaces for people, right? Like essentially like how to be a hostess. I mean, that's kind of a throwaway word, but it's something that I've always felt really good at and been interested in. And now with like more live events and retreats and stuff, I'm interested in what other people do to create intentionally warm spaces.
2: Mm, Yeah, I totally resonate with that. Just creating a space where It has the intimacy of like a slumber party or, you know, you're gathered around a campfire. Like, I just love the idea of people feeling safe and creating incredible connections.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel the same way. So when you were young, what did you want to be when you grew up?
2: This is funny because I feel like it sort of intersects with what I'm doing now, but I wanted to be an author so, um, I've been blogging and building websites since I was 13. So I feel like in a way that's how I've correlated the author dream into the
1: online space. That's fun. I like that. I like seeing like what you wanted to do and then sort of what it like mutates into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's been something that was a tough lesson you had to learn the hard way? Mm.
2: I would have to say when I moved out to San Diego seven years ago, I, this was actually my third time moving out there from the East Coast. And for this particular move seven years ago, I moved with nothing really saved, no job lined up, pretty much no idea, which partially made it really fun and impulsive, but also came with its hardships and challenges. So I guess you could say I learned that I should maybe prepare better, but at the same time, it was one of the most incredible experiences and just having to do the hard thing and struggle is actually now like one of the best things I feel like I've ever done. Mm.
1: Isn't that always the way that something that was really hard at the time winds up sometimes being the thing you're the most proud of? Absolutely. Yeah, it's incredible. What's something that you'd love to get better at in the next year?
2: I would love to get better at public speaking and dancing. I've actually had a curiosity for burlesque. So I'd love to like maybe tap into that. Um, And I'd love to just like step out of my comfort zone more. So anything that I would shy away from, whether it's, you know, indoor rock climbing or doing a speaking engagement, I really just want to put myself out there
1: fearlessly. Mm, I love that, or with lots of fear, but doing it anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> uh, last question, what's one thing that you wish people were more open and honest about?
2: That's a powerful one. I feel like I feel like people are becoming more honest about their struggles and their failures, but I would love to see that just be even more out in the open just behind the scenes, like I just love learning and learning the intricacies of other people's business growth um, and their struggles. Like I just wish people were more honest about that. And then another thing just to throw in here that I feel like people aren't as open about in general is sex. I feel like that's not a topic I hear talked about a lot, even among like several circles of friendships I have. I feel like it's not something... Talk about that openly. So I feel like those two things.
1: Yeah, I love both of those, both things that I would like to explore more deeply on the show next year. So, yes, I am here for that. <laughs> so, you're a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you make a powerful, reoccurring pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show each season, for which I am very grateful. And I would love for you to share two things first, why you decided to support the show, and then what you love most about being in our community.
2: I love that. Well, supporting the show is a no brainer. Um, For anyone listening, I've been following Nicole's journey for years now. I went to one of her Bloggers in Sin City events several years back. Um, I love your writing and I love the conversation. So I'm just so down to support the Real Talk movement. And then my favorite thing would have to be just being a part of the Patreon community. I'm obsessed with getting access to bonus episodes. I feel like those are always just a fun little juicy surprise. And getting early access to events because they sell out quick. And as a Patreon member, you get early access.
1: Yeah. And you came to one of the live events last year, What or this year, earlier this year, whatever time I it is. I did. <laughs> I'm was like, what, what year are we? What's happening? <laughs> what month is it? Oh, man. That was awesome. <laughs> So uh, can you share where you live and maybe a good social media handle, place for people to follow you? Yes.
2: So I live in gorgeous San Diego, California, and my social handle and website is Allison. That's with one L and Kinsey. So Allison Kinsey is my handle and AllisonKinsey.com.
1: I love it. Um, To everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 40 hours of bonus content, plus lots of other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. I can't tell you how much your support means to me, and it'll be so much fun to get to know you better after you've joined our community. Perhaps we can even record a future outro together like this one. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can and no matter what, we're in this together.